Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting 5 to 15 minutes, where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, happy Monday. Mike Dooley here for a spiritual tune-up. A lot of great engagement last week. Thank you so much for all of the interactions and for the amazing amount of great questions that came in. Here's one that I have seen in a variety of nature, in a variety of ways, kind of asking the same question. Like, you know, hey, if, if I am one with the divine, and there's just only beauty everywhere. Why would I ever come here to have to find my way through self-imposed doubts and limiting beliefs and all of that stuff? In essence, the question I'm answering today, why do we come back if we were already one with the divine? Several things to take into account right now. Um, there's the presumption that by coming here, we're leaving the divine. By stepping into the illusions, we're no longer um, in heaven. Um, as I've shared so many times, this is all happening inside the mind of God. And as I laid out in my little book, Lost in Space, later published as An Adventure's Guide to the Jungles of Time and Space, Divine intelligence never stops growing and yearning and expanding and developing. It never stops. It is perpetually on this, this trajectory of more. Why more? Because it's all about love. More love, more glory, more everything. And so at some point, trying to put words to this incredible equation, divine intelligence created worlds within itself that gave the appearance of here, not there, have or have not, later, now, future, past, present. All of these things are lies, but it makes possible adventures that had never been imagined by the mind of God to all of a sudden fleetingly forget that you're everywhere always at once, to fleetingly forget that you're, that you're at all, all times in existence in multidimensional forms in parallel realities on other planets and in realms where there's not time and space. And then to experience love from there, to experience your own creativity there. Remember, just because you don't remember that you're one with the divine, just because you don't remember that you're bathed in love, that love is the glue of reality, just because you can't see your friends doesn't mean ever that you're not one that you're not bathed in love, and that you're not surrounded by friends and laughter with purpose and meaning. Also consider that these adventures into the jungles of time and space 
are so brief. They're so fleeting. And no matter what happens here, it makes us more when we go to the other side. Stub your toe, fall down, um, broken heart. Uh, it's just illusions. It's just like a nighttime dream. Whereas the other side of the equation is going from the darkness into the light. Do you realize that alone almost explains the nature of reality in the jungles of time and space? There's no such thing as darkness unless you have these illusions. And some people would say, well, why would I ever care about darkness? Because moving from darkness to the light is even more cool than just being in the light all the time. Especially when you realized that the darkness wasn't real, it was your imagination and that you were there basking in the light that you thought was dark. So all of a sudden these games are made possible and uh, as this book I was reading, I was telling you about last week, The Return of the Bird Tribe, and as Seth says and my own books say, it's as if divine intelligence created these unbelievably cool worlds of physical matter where suddenly there was space and time and density, um, you know, all the illusions, the dimensional illusions that we know of and, and was on the outside looking in. It's like, wow, look at these galaxies. Look at these planets. Look at that lush ocean. Look at that fabulous desert. And now we are divine intelligence waking up inside of those dreams. Why? Because we could. Why? Because it's safe. Why? Because it's fun. Why? Because we could fall in love. Why? Because we could move from the darkness into the light. Now, when you're in the darkness, as I've shared before, it seems like it's always been dark. It's dark right now. It'll always be dark. And I'm alone. And I don't like it. And you characterize all eternity in that moment, in that blink. But that's part of the hook. That's part of the trick. Realize it's a blink and realize you can change how you feel with affirmations, creative visualization, your thoughts become things in these sacred jungles. And so as this book was saying so succinctly, really a mind blower, the return of the bird tribes, return of the bird tribes. It's that, it's that we are now God come alive in matter. We are God alive in matter and taking that big leap and not being kind of in, injected there. Like in a nighttime dream, you can inject yourself into uh, weird choice of words into Madison Square Gardens or on a jumbo jet or sailing across the Pacific. You know, you can just be there. Boom. All of a sudden, all the props are there. The people are there. Memories are inserted. You can have an adventure. In these sacred jungles of time and space, there's a continuum. There's momentum. There's this soup of seven billion co-creators. Okay, so now you can't just break the rules. And if you're a divine intelligence and you want to be in there, the only way to really experience it is if you are conceived of by mortals, which are pure God beings, through a biology, and now you can come alive in it. Well, in the, in the throes of our fascination of waking up into the illusions, we forget that we're creating them on the fly, that we're adding our juice and energy to the other co-creators that are then alive. And so we start reacting to them and the skies turn cloudy and our heart gets broken because we're reacting to the world instead of um, realizing that we are creating it on the fly. 
This is what happens in the beginning of the biological arc in the evolution of consciousness. But then we have the wherewithal to use our brain fully. Everybody knows we're not using it fully to connect with um, our spirit selves or call it the mind of God while we are still here. And in this great experiment, as it's playing out on planet Earth, and God knows it's played itself out in other realms and other planets, and they're in many cases much further along than we are, maybe they've reached reach the epitome, and that is full self-realization inside these sacred, inside your biological body. So while you are 100% biologically human, which is pure divinity anyway, you are totally aware on a streaming level that you are God Almighty and that everything is of you, by you, for you. You see yourself in the tree out there and the bird that flies over. You see yourself in other people. You see the oneness in all. That is self-realization. That is the moment of total enlightenment awakening the Christ consciousness within. Many of you have shared with me, you don't like me using the word Christ or even the word God, but hey, sometimes there's just no other better word for it. And I'm not toting a Bible or anything like that. You know me by now. So to have this game play out where we ultimately get through the evolution of consciousness and incarnation after incarnation of love and discovery and power, this illumination the world will not even be recognizable to us now in the Stone Age. We are living in the Stone Age right now. But when we get there, and there are those who are there right now, if you will, time is happening simultaneously, the future already exists, uh, they pay great homage and alms to the pioneers who went into the darkness which was really going into the light, but thinking it was dark, making possible the ultimate evolution of God's mind inside, inside of the illusions, whereupon they were able to perform miracles, they were able to walk on water, they were able to uh, be happy and enjoy and explore and expand the entire cosmos until they've been there, done that, and they move on to the next great idea that God may have. So you got to put it all in context to, to answer a question like that. Thanks for letting me have the opportunity to do that. This was a long one this morning, but it was a great question that many have echoed in the past. Jumbo fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley. Yesterday was a ton of fun. I went deep diving into more profound aspects of the nature of reality. Talking about some of my favorite stuff, 12 minutes. I thought today what I would do with you is keep it really light and still follow up on some of your questions. Because a couple of days ago, when I was speaking about um, getting high, plant medicine, alcohol, etc., I told you that 17 years ago, using um, a fasting method, I simultaneously became a vegetarian and have never had a cigarette since. And several of you asked for more information. So here I am going to tell you about my little story of making 
two gigantic major life changes that I had been struggling with for decades in the span of 10 days, really almost overnight with the help of the master cleanser. Okay, check it out. Rewind the tape if you're watching the recording, The Master Cleanser by Stanley Burroughs. Get it at Amazon. It's like $4. The ebook is like 50 cents, something crazy. It's a very, very tiny, tiny, tiny book. Anyway, I was at one of my best friend's homes, a neighbor, um, just hanging out when his son was visiting, his adult son was visiting from California. And while I had always had in the back of my mind that one day I would quit cigarettes and that one day I would be a vegetarian, I didn't realize how profoundly my life was about to change that evening when suddenly, fresh from a trip to California, living in California, he went into, for unexplained reasons, this California cleanse. Basically, it is a 10-day fast during which the only exception to drinking water is lemonade. It's often called the lemonade diet, the California diet, or officially the master cleanse. You can Google it. There are forums and discussion boards, sometimes numbering in the millions of people who have done it. Please understand I am not a doctor. I have very little knowledge of cleansing and the human body other than my own experience, which might not be reflective of your experience if you give it a shot. But basically for 10 days, you squeeze fresh organic lemons into spring water. And that is the only thing you subsist on with two more little caveats. You're allowed to put maple syrup into your lemonade, real organic maple syrup, not flavored corn syrup, and a dash of cayenne pepper. Both cayenne pepper and maple syrup are staples in my life, particularly since this cleanse. Um, and so that was a real nice reprieve. Now this cleanse, any cleanse, any fast, which is a much better word than cleanse in this case, because you're really taking in very little other than water, um, is designed to slow your metabolism down, as I understand it. It's designed to wean your body off of ingesting food because you're not giving any and it begins breaking down stored up fat. It literally, in my humble knowledge, cleans and purifies your blood, your liver. Um, it, it makes you lightheaded and even dizzy and nauseous in the first couple of days. Um, but it brings about a clarity that is indescribable unless you've ever done a, a fast or a very serious cleanse in the past. Let me tell you one other aspect of this master cleanser, and it's a little bit uh, disgusting. So I've warned you. Um, one of the things it suggests you do two or three or four times or even daily during the 10 day cleanse is to drink in the morning, I think like a quart or a pint of warm salt water. It's, it tells you how much salt to put in there. It's extremely salty. And because of the mixture and the temperature and things I don't understand, 
It does not exit your urinary tract. It exits through the bowels, through the bowels. Now, you know, you're eight days into this cleanse and you haven't had any food, but you do this salt water portion of the cleanse and um, you will wonder where that stuff came from because it's not just water. It's like stuff that is in your intestines for goodness knows how long. Now, I'm not a doctor, and of course, you might be stripping your intestines and your entire internal tract of very valuable, nutrient-rich um, <clears throat> stuff. Uh, and so this is not a cleanse or a fast for everyone. Seek your doctor's advice. But at the outset of this cleanse, I wanted to quit cigarettes, and I did. I've never had one since, 17 or so years ago. And I've never had any form of meat, uh, fish, uh, consciously. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it's in sauce or something. Um, you know, you, you try as hard as you can, but if you're at a restaurant or at friends' houses, you know, you don't know what's in there, and oftentimes the people you ask don't tell you. But I have gone to extraordinary lengths to make sure I have not consumed any animal, um, any animals, period. I am a near vegan, very near vegan. Um, that's a whole nother discussion for another day. And I've been a very near vegan, that's my term, VNV, for, for a couple of years now. Um, but anyway, that's the Master Cleanse. It's a really cool adventure. You can do it on your own with your doctor's blessing. Um, know ahead of time what you want to achieve from it. Know what you want to take from it. This is a perfect time to do it since you're probably not eating at restaurants as often or entertaining with friends as often. You can do this at home if you're still working at home. And I could not more highly recommend it. In fact, tell me if you're interested in me leading a 10-day. I've not done it in 17 years. I really hardly feel like I need to. Although I only quit alcohol six months ago. And so if you've got polluted, if you've been eating stuff or drinking stuff in the last 10 years that are somewhat polluted and not the ideal dream food, you've got buildup of toxicity. And therefore the cleanse would be a really good idea in addition to creating uh, new habits. So I'm I haven't done it in 17 years. I don't have a lot of pollutants in my body except, you know, a beer or two or three every day in all of those 17 years until six months ago. So if enough of you wanted to do it, I might set up a challenge or a project, um, charge a nominal fee, and every day for 10 days spend 10 minutes with you and commit and affirm uh, and have a forum and a discussion so you could do this with some peers and have a lot of fun with it. I, I, if I do it, it'll be in a month or two. You don't need to wait for me. Go get this book and go. It's not my book, it's Stanley's book. But if you would like to do it with a group um, and you had your doctor's approval, then I might kick it off uh, in, in a month or two. I think it would be a lot of fun and, and no doubt I would benefit myself from doing it again. Today is a question posed by you that uh, it really hits a nerve and um, 
gives one pause and great trepidation considering how powerful we are and considering that our thoughts become the things and events and circumstances of our lives. The question has surfaced several times in the last 20 years. Can our thoughts hurt people? And recently it was asked, can they hurt our pets? Listen to this. In a rage, I wished my husband dead. Then he died. Did I kill him? Woo! Never, never, never could any one of us think thoughts that would encroach or invade upon another person to a degree to cause any kind of bodily harm. It is utterly, totally impossible. So to this poor woman, um, the, uh, this was long ago that I got that question. It's like not in a million years could you think thoughts, no matter how vile and awful, that could take away somebody's power to the degree that they would suffer uh, even a, a stubbed toe, much less death. We are all absolutely, totally untouchable by others. And that would be the conditions we would insist upon prior to coming to these sacred jungles of time and space. We're not going to go and be at the mercy of other people. Now, there's a lot of tangents here. Um, you know, kids and children that are beholden and dependent on bad parents. Bad. Um, and there are, there are situations where perhaps sustained consistent, twisted, tormented, hateful thoughts directed to a person could, if they allowed, enter into their mind and eat away at their own confidence to such a degree that it could prematurely, if you will, bring about cause for their ultimate death at an in a probability that was not foreseen prior to this incarnation. Your thoughts are very powerful, but for them to actually touch someone else, they have to be in on the game. They have to somehow acquiesce their power, give it away, put you ahead of their desires, put your thoughts above their own thoughts. This is extremely rare. It does happen. I am not blaming the victim. I have an entire several spiritual tune-ups, I think back in March and April of this year, where I talk about the concepts of blame the victim and how they are fatally flawed. Uh, I talk about this being an adventure where we all go and we see the probabilities uh, and we decide whether or not this will serve our adventure and our learning. But for the person out there who thinks something awful about their spouse, not that that's funny, um, realize they are untouchable. You are untouchable. We are all untouchable unless we choose to play some kind of game that does not serve us, as I just illustrated. The other thought, part two, that I got just yesterday, I believe, it was a uh, quote, I worried about my elderly dog's health, concerned about his death, 
and he suddenly needed to be put down. Was it me? Again, this is based on the premise that our thoughts are almighty when it comes to shaping our lives and our joy. So if my thoughts are that powerful, did my fear and concern over my dog's or pet's death bring about that creature's death? Again, if there were, now it's different with an animal than a person. If there were sustained fears and thoughts for months or years on end of an extremely imbalanced, irrational nature that put your dog's picture in your mind, um, suffering and weak and vulnerable and fragile, I would have to say absolutely um, your thoughts could bring about the ultimate decline in health to the point of passing of any beloved creature. They are much more vulnerable to our thoughts. But if you've got an old dog and you're afraid of their health and you think that they might die and then they do, that was not you. That was an old dog. You are far more positive, far more loving, uh, far more encouraging of life than you give yourself credit for. All of us are. And so fear not. Your concerns, all, everybody watching, your concerns of a conservative nature, uh, and I'm not talking politics, of a conservative nature, you know, taking your vitamins, uh, making sure your dog has proper veterinarian care, wearing your seatbelt, buying health insurance, um, all of these actions that we all are virtually required to do at this primitive juncture in time and space speak of our frailty and our vulnerability. They're not actions that a divine being of light would ever perform, but you should perform them. But think not that because you perform them, you are exposing yourself unnecessarily. You know, you wear your seatbelt um, when you get on an airplane, right? That's a negative act of faith, but wear it, okay? Please wear it. And look, it doesn't really cause planes to crash, okay? Because we're far more positive and optimistic that things are going to work out fine as you were with your dog, as we generally are with all matters in our lives. There was a tangent question by the same person. Let me address that now. It's very relevant. Um, can your dark thoughts for anyone and everyone even if only fleeting, cause unwanted consequences like those thoughts you want to bring about when you want to bring about wanted consequences. Okay, I've talked about this earlier, um, about our positive thoughts are about 10,000 times. Check that out. 10,000 times more powerful than our negative thoughts. And therefore, fleeting negativity Fleeting fear. Hold on, I'll put legs under that table. Fleeting negativity. Fleeting self-loathing. All of those things that we are subject to have cannot tarnish your armor. You're okay. Do not worry that you worry. You could worry 18 hours a day, have five minutes of positivity, do a little demonstration that all will be well, and you will rock your life. Your life already is proof of this. Now, why would I say 
positive thoughts, negative thoughts. Positive thoughts, I mean, that's just judgment, right? But thoughts in alignment with truth, and there is a truth that we are all of God, that we're here by choice, that we're eternal sparks of, of the divine, that our thoughts become things, that we're all one, that love is the binding element of all consciousness and reality. Those truths. Thoughts in alignment with those truths. Boom, boom, boom. Become things really fast. When you think thoughts that we might call negative, even though that's judgment, one person's negative is another person's positive. When you think, I'm a dummy, I'm getting old and I'm falling apart, my dog might die, um, I'm stupid, nobody likes me, I can't lose weight, I can't make money, all those stupid lies. Those are lies. You're God Almighty. Your thoughts become things. It's like you have a magic wand. When you think those thoughts that are not in alignment with truth, that we would typically call negative, those are very hard to manifest. So long, as long as every little day there's some effort on positivity and physical steps in congruence with them, you will rock your life. People don't know this, so they sit around in gloom 24-7 and those thoughts bring them down. But you're way beyond that. You're watching this. You're listening to me and you haven't turned me off yet. So now let this be reinforcement to what you intuitively know, that you're here for a reason, that all things are possible, that you're born to thrive and born to be happy 24-7 is possible. Jumbo fellow adventurers, Mike Dooley here, ready for another spiritual tune-up with a rather esoteric question. Sometimes those are my absolute favorites. What does it mean to be multidimensional? Specifically, can your higher self have more than one simultaneous body? Can multiple little slivers go out into bodies from the same higher self? And if they can, are they all you? All right, seatbelts, please. Every profound work I have read, typically they're channeled. And this resonates with my own intuition. I'm sure it does with yours as well. Speaks of us being multidimensional selves, yet from within the physical embodiment, at this stage in our early development consciously, we're completely oblivious to the fact that you and I are in other places simultaneously. If you will, we have reincarnational aspects alive today in this time and space, in the past, in the future, and beyond reincarnational aspects. Anything that's connected to our higher self, other offshoots, other questions, other creations, if you will, are also part of our creaturehood that we can draw wisdom and love and guidance from all the time. The simple answer is yes, we are in many places at the same time. To answer the question, is it the same you? Is there a Mike Dooley in multiple places at the same time? I wish it was really easy to say yes or no. For every fork in the road that I have met, 
Should I go left or should I go right? According to Seth, dictated by the late Jane Roberts, this makes intuitive sense and is parallel, paralleled by other profound speakers and teachers. There is this splitting of realities where there's a Mike Dooley in California and there is a Mike Dooley in Florida and both Mike Dooleys think they're the only Mike Dooley. And this boggles the mind when you realize that for each Mike Dooley, I've got my brother Andy. So Mike Dooley in California has an Andy and Mike Dooley in Florida has an Andy and each Andy is different than the original Andy before I made that decision. Not only is there a different brother, but everyone I know multiplies based on my forks in the road and it goes on infinitely in a single lifetime. Every major fork in the road. These are parallel existences, parallel realities. So in this sense, there are other Mike Dooleys and for every other Mike Dooley, there in some mind boggling way or another, there's another planet Earth and there's another 7 billion people and there's another, it's like, Okay, there's some tangents there I would love to go down to parse and simplify. Life is not what we think it is, um, but it's just too big a, a chunk to chew off right now. But without regard to those infinite layers of alternate Mike Dooleys, there are my reincarnational selves and other offshoots from my higher self. Let me describe that a little bit. Um, when divine intelligence descended, going down is not a bad thing, descended, usually equated with mistakes or the devil or fall from grace, bunch of crap. When we're going, when divine intelligence descended, now that whole metaphor implies location, distance, time, all of those are lies, but this is the best we can do, words slip and fail. When divine intelligence descended into matter, okay, it was prior to its dissension everywhere always at once. And once it descended everywhere always at once, but now there's different focal points, almost like glass fracturing. Instantly, it's the same glass, but a million pieces, and it's all still one window pane. Or the roots of a tree. Now, over time, it goes down, but imagine that it could happen simultaneously. And one major root leads to other roots that lead to other roots that lead to other roots and the same with the branches going into the sky. A major branch leads to 12 lesser branches. Each of those leads to six lesser branches. And then another offshoot from the trunk. And this is not a tree. We're talking about divine intelligence. So infinity upwards and infinity downwards. And all of that is connected. All of that is one. All of that is God. But now for the for the dissension and ascension simultaneously, all good, there are different perspectives. And as I said earlier, it's like our incarnational selves are leaves on a tree. And we're all on the tree of God. And we can all see one another when we're not blinded by the illusions. And we all see that we're one and the same. There's no reason ever to compete. We're never in jeopardy unless we get in our own way through confusion. So we can call our higher self the branch we came off of. But that branch came from a bigger branch and that's its higher self. And that's your higher, higher self all the way back to God. Uh, it gets completely unwieldy. But when we can peel away the illusions and the lies, we will come to realize through self-realization that we are truly everywhere always at once. 
and that this ego isn't the end all be all. This ego is meant to help us navigate this one experience, Mike Dooley in this one parallel um, offshoot, so to speak. The great news is, is you can draw from all of that wisdom all of the time. You needn't slip and fall if some other leaf slipped and fell and you can learn their lessons. If you want to move towards love and fulfillment and expression, you can draw from the tree of life. You can draw from God Almighty. You can draw from others who have been where you want to go. In this sense, everyone watching this is a reincarnational offshoot of me and I am of them. It's not like, you know, just you know, Abraham Lincoln or um, somebody else famous, Madame Curie, um, uh, might be your reincarnational ancestors. It's like every human being is of you, by you, for you. So then there were some spin-off questions that were kind of interesting. If that doesn't kind of already fill you to capacity, uh, let's see here. How and why do we all maintain our separateness when we pass back over into the world of God, the world of love? That question alone implies that there is only one place we can be at the same time. And so either we're individuals or we are merged back into God. I've tackled this before. It's really easy. Right now, your life is happening inside the mind of God and yet you have your individuality. So when you merge back into God, why would you lose your individuality? I would say it's like a parked car. It's there when you want it, as you blend back into God, and anytime you want to take this car out for a spin and be a little more Mike Dooley or a little more who you are, but it never dissolves, it never goes away, it never dies in that aspect. Um, a few more offshoots. If everything is energy, can we also come back as non-human, like a bumblebee, a tree, or an animal? Uh, I would say theoretically, yes, but do we? No. Why would we? Uh, there's different tracks, okay? If you're on this tree of life and you're out there shining as an oak tree, um, that's the experience of the tree, the oak, and all the infinite varieties that could come to you. Other creature, creatures, other splinters of God are experiencing the bumblebee, are experiencing the animal kingdom, are experiencing the mineral kingdom, and it would not behoove or suit any of us to come back as anything other than what we are now learning to master. Uh, the last esoteric question, when past lives are revealed, why are they always in the past if we are simultaneous beings? Why aren't they sometimes in the future? Uh, I think that's because of our primitive inclination to believing that the past is done and verifiable and provable and the future is none of those things. So because we can't comprehend it and we therefore don't believe in it, we don't seek or avail ourselves of the wisdom of future selves. But they are equally real. They are equally rich with experience, equally able to help us it's just that heretofore, we've been living our lives with such blinders, it's not been possible. Welcome to another Friday spiritual tune-up. I was asked to speak about things a little more practical, 
stuff that people are dealing with every single day now with social distancing and lockdown and the crazy world we live in. Well, fortunately, uh, I have an endless amount of stuff to share with you and I know what many of you are thinking about. Let me condense it into one simple question or one simple answer. Five steps to manifest anything, including money. I get a lot of requests to talk about how to manifest money. I'm not here to make it all about the bling, okay? But it does serve as a really good example. And if you like the five steps for money, guess what? The five steps for love are the same. The five steps for confidence are the same. The five steps to lose weight are the same. So whatever it is you want, let my examples around money help give you a path to follow. So first off, the basic tutorial, our thoughts, your thoughts unfailingly become the things and events of your life. They are the end all be all of living the life of your dreams. They are the only way to move towards abundance, love, health, harmony. There's nothing else. There are no mitigating factors, not karma, not ancient spiritual contracts, uh, not the mood that God is in, not gratitude, not regret, not fear, not nothing. It boils down to your focus. We are streaming manifestors. We are God come alive in the dream of life. And the ultimate realization will be a self-realization that we are of the divine. And that what we want is what the divine wants for us. So how do we harness this and not be afraid? Realize given your divinity, you are inclined to prosper to be happy, to be in love, to love, to have money, and to be a bright light in the world. This is These are your default settings. Therefore, positive thoughts in alignment with truth become things much faster than negative thoughts. I share that all the time. I think I shared that yesterday. If you worry and you have fears and you know that thoughts become things, don't worry that you worry. <clears throat> Because in addition to this principle, or augmenting this principle, your inclination to thrive is just insane. So a little bit of positivity, like 10 minutes a day, will offset 12 hours of worry. Now you're going to have to take action, baby steps. I'm about to share with you my five steps, but I wanted to set the stage. You are inclined to succeed. You're here to thrive. It really is easy. Just look at some of the knuckleheads who have what you dream of having. They got nothing on you. They're not goody two-shoes. <clears throat> they didn't all go to the same school. They don't all have the same skin color. You can have whatever you want. The reason you want it is to show yourself you can have it. So what is it right now? Peace of mind? Is there a conflict brewing with somebody else? Are you disappointed? Would you like greater financial abundance? Would you like to have just brimming vitality and feel like Teflon and not afraid of coronavirus? You can have it all with these five simple steps, okay? Number one, visualize. Creative visualization. Close your eyes and imagine yourself living your dreamed of life or living with that which you now dream of as if you already had it. If you have difficulty seeing images and it all just goes dark when you close your eyes, 
You are in the 10 to 15% group of all people. No problem. When you visualize, just go to joy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, for the abundance pouring into my life. Thank you, God, for my Romeo or Juliet. Thank you, God, for the ease and simplicity that is everywhere around me. Just, I feel the joy. I feel the joy. <clears throat> then you don't have to see a dang thing. It's all about emotions. Emotions are the rocket fuel. Emotions are why you want money. Emotions are why you want fulfillment. Emotions are... So imagine emotion. And it's the fast track to all things, including material wealth. So visualize money, visualize holding hands, visualize whatever your heart desires. Number two, take action, show up, do something daily about your dream. Just a little thing daily. You could even take a couple of days off a week. You could even take a couple of weeks off, but get back on track. Do something about it. It is not enough just to think it. If you're thinking abundance or thinking of your dream come true, but not moving towards it, it's a gigantic contradiction. You know, you're like, yeah, I want it, but not going to do anything about it. And since you don't walk on water yet, nor are you manifesting gold coins out of your blue jean pockets, that means you're still faced with chopping wood and carrying water, as they say. You don't have to know what to do. It doesn't matter. You're not hitting the home run. The universe is hitting the home run. You're the little pitcher. You're showing up. Every baby step is a pitch and the universe will pick which one to hit out of the park, bringing you and your teammates home for that big happy dance party. So just consistently do what you can to move in the general direction of your dream as if you were about to hit the home run, but leave that to divine intelligence. So we got visualize, we got show up, just it show up. I didn't say figure it out. You don't have to figure nothing out. You can't, brain's too small. Visualize, show up with a glad heart, shake hands, press, press the flesh. Uh, I told my infinite possibility members the other day, you don't have to have to see or define the path in front of you and think that's how, okay? You just have to identify maybes. Maybe it'll be the book I write. Maybe it'll be the book I, the, the business I start. Maybe it'll be Romeo. Maybe it'll be Juliet. Maybe it'll be none of the above, but I'm going to go and try and maybe this will be the path. That's the ticket. Now you're going to show up with your full heart. You're going to do your best, but you're not going to be like, this is it because the universe loves me. The weight of the world is on your shoulders and you've just excluded all other possibilities. Don't do that. Number three, pretend, act as if, demonstrate, play. Two ways, pretend and demonstrate as if you knew of the imminent inevitability of your dream coming true ASAP. Okay. You can playfully do that. Or the other way is, is to pretend the dream came true three months ago. Now what are you going to do? Now who do you hang out with? Now where do you go? Now what's on your to-do list? Okay, that's how you playfully pretend. Act as if the dream already came true. You don't have to do this overtly. You don't have to tell people what you're doing. Um, just here's an example. I used to want a boat. I couldn't afford a boat when I wanted the boat. So I would go every Saturday to the boat store and I would walk through the aisles for knickknacks and life preservers and uh, depth finders that only boat owners would shop on. That was my pretend. I'd be like, oh, that's a cool depth finder. Oh, that's a cool radio. This is a great ship to shore radio. You know, and I would pretend as if I had a boat. And that's why I would go to that part of the boat store. All right. 
Number four, be happy now. Be happy without your dream because you're already a dream come true. You're already God's dream come true. You're already your own dream come true. Okay, there's so much to be happy about. I don't care what's going on in your life. There's still more to be happy about than sad about. No matter what you say right now, there's more to be happy about than sad about. Beginning with you're an eternal being of light. Beginning with you're loved and adored. Beginning with you're all powerful. I don't care if you're broken hearted and you don't have a shirt on your back. You have a lot to be happy about. You've got life, baby. Then if you can be happy every day, every step of the journey, it'll take your eye off that pot waiting for it to boil. You're going to kind of give the universe divine intelligence and the magic, the freedom to sneak into your life and begin rearranging stuff without your critical eye because you're enjoying things. The next thing you know, you wake up and you're like, I'm living the life of my dreams. The dirt road that I started out on is 24 carats, baby. Number five. Now this is geared towards money in most instances, but it works for love. Be generous. So I don't care if you only have 25 cents, give five away. You got $25,000, give $5,000 away. I'm not kidding. Be generous. What does that say to your inner witness? It says, I am provided for, and so you shall be. Talk about a powerful demonstration. So be generous and be generous, not just with your purse strings, be generous with your heart. Be generous with compliments. Be generous with assistance. Be generous in terms of service. Be generous in terms of patience. Be generous in any and every way you could possibly imagine, especially in the areas where you would like your life transformed. Visualize, take action, pretend, be happy, be generous. Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free Notes from the Universe emails. Tally ho!